Welcome to Tomorrow is Mine. My name is Trevor Jackson. Scientists tell us that if we don't soon change our habits, the world will pass the point of no return in terms of climate stability. So, have you ever wondered if we don't change the way we live, what the world might look like in, say, 10 or 20 years' time, and what impact it will have on our lives? Vipin Danu has not only imagined that future, he's created it through his virtual reality experience called Aftermath. Vipin is studying sustainable environments and planning and project management at Bond University. And after seeing the impacts of rising sea levels on the tiny island of his home country, Mauritius, Vipin felt compelled to devise a way of creating greater awareness about the impacts of climate change. So, strap yourself in for a three-dimensional conversation that explores how Vipin got to this point in his career, his hopes for raising greater awareness about climate change, and the need for more sustainable practices. Vipin, welcome to Tomorrow is Mine. Let's talk about Mauritius, because I've never been to Mauritius. It's only a small island, a very remote island in a lot of ways. Tell me, what's life like in Mauritius? Mauritius is very uh, small, and to give you like a sort of um, perspective, it's the size of a city, so a bit more than 2,000 kilometres square. 60 by 40 kilometres, so quite small. So yeah, I was born there, and... Um, Life is very chill. <laughs> very. Um, well, you're on a, you're on an island, don't yes, you? Exactly. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Um, we're a developing country, so um, before our main economy was, used to be sugar canes. So my ancestors, my uh, grandma, used to own uh, lots of sugar cane, and uh, it's quite a scenic uh, view, especially with the mountains um, that that we have, and. Um, we, if, if you can imagine, with the you have the sugarcane and the sea as a backdrop, gives quite a quite a scenic view, um, in a way. But the the weather is quite nice also. Uh, this is not as harsh as Australia, but still um, still still nice. Quite popular with tourists, uh, especially from Europe and uh, South Africa. But where where I am, it's more um, a mountain region. So I live in a valley. So uh, we'd go for walks and mountaineering now is quite is becoming quite a big thing. Yeah, one of the tourist attractions there. Yes. It's interesting in that there's no indigenous population for Mauritius, but there are, at various times throughout history, the French, the English, Indians, uh, East Africans have all colonised and influenced the, the island. So is it a very um, multicultural kind of society? Yeah, so uh, to develop the islands, the previous colonies, the French and the uh, British colony, they brought people from you know Africa, from um, Asia, from India, to kind of uh, build uh, the country. Um, we, d- we didn't have any indigenous uh, people, but the, the indigenous creatures were the dodos, which were which yes. been extinct. And some of my work pertaining to um, the technology is trying to kind of sort of revive it, but that's, you know, uh, we can talk about this after. But the, um, so we had people who came to the island to work in the sugarcane fields mainly, and we ha- used to have quite a bit of, um, you know, ships going by to Mauritius, uh, especially, especially the, um, the British ships, they would go by the Cape of Good Hope, South Africa, then t- to India, they, would, they wouldn't have anywhere to kind of get food and water. So Mauritius was seen as a kind of a key place to be. But then with the Suez Canal in Egypt opening, that kind of um, diminished a bit over time. But 
at the time Mauritius was seen as a key and star of the Indian Ocean, as they would say. You speak with a, a slight French accent, yes. but I'm not sure that French is the language. Isn't it Creole, which is kind of like a, yeah. an Africanized version of French? <laughs> yeah, so uh, we do speak French, but also uh, Creole, which is the, you know, the local language, which, which they are trying to make it a, one of the languages, um, you know, official language in, in Mauritius. But we do speak French as well. It's a bit of a peculiar country because English is the official language, but... Um, TV shows, cartoons, you know, if, uh, if you go to shops, people will speak French and Creole to you. <laughs> yeah, and interesting. And also, depending on where your ancestors came from, you would speak the language. So I speak a bit of Hindi as well. And when did you develop your interest in architecture? I was always interested with design, anything related to design, as from a young age. I think it's in the family. We use, my mum draws quite a bit. So everyone in the family has the kind of, you know, artist, I'd say, mm, blood. Yeah, little artistic bent. Yeah. Yes, yeah. exactly. And um, in college, so from 11, uh, we had to kind of choose where we wanted to go uh, to specialize in uh, design and technology was one of the you know, fields I wanted to go in. So I always like inventing, not inventing, but you know, creating things. So I did this kind of, I remember a, a chair that converts into a table sort of thing to save space. Um, that was back in the day. That's Which pretty I, cool. From a young age, I was quite interested with. And then when I finished, when I was 18, I started thinking, what I can do? And my tutors uh, told me, oh, you could go to graphic design because you kind of, you know, you like uh, everything visual. But then I thought architecture because it kind of encompasses everything. So you have to do, you know, your presentations. And it kind of developed me also in a way, looking back. And um, architecture is such a broad field. You could just, you know, specialize in many things. But... Um, I think, yeah, the, the idea was kind of architecture, do everything, have a taste of uh, things, and then specialize in something after, but you also kind of create these um, skills that can be used for other fields, which is quite cool. And uh, following the, the I mean, for my fourth and second year of architecture, we even did animation, and that's where my passion for gaming, which is kind of an evolution from animation, came from. Oh, when, while you were studying architecture, which was in London. You went to yes. London to study architecture. Why London? Um, my dad uh, visited it once, and he really liked the university, uh, Greenwich University. We're talking 2006 now. And that's where the king and queen used to kind of, you know, uh, live by the, the observatory Meridian line. And he thought, oh, it would be amazing if we, if we could go there. And we had still, you know, we have links with Great Britain and... Um, the culture, etc. So he thought, oh, why not? Yeah, and are there like there's quite clear study pathways if you grow up as in Mauritius that if you want to go and study Definitely. in the UK, you so can do that. UK is uh, quite popular as well as India and South Africa, mm. but um, Australia was also quite uh, quite popular. But the European countries, France and England, Canada also well, it was quite popular. So you you graduate from architecture in London, but. It wasn't just animation that started to change your way of thinking because you were there during the GFC. You mentioned yes. 2006 you were there. What did you observe during that time? Yeah, so um, that was the first time, you know, experienced something like this. I was working at the Stephen Lawrence Tritable Trust, which is a trust that promotes architecture and, you know, inclusion of uh, diversity in the field of architecture and creative uh, fields as well. So uh, because of the GFC, I uh, was... Uh, Made, uh, let go, but then I started my second part of architecture, 
uh, that was 2012, 11, 12. And... When I first started, the, the first thing that my tutors, they, they told everyone, really, that the GFC will happen again in the future, uh, financial crisis. So try to diversify your way of doing things and, you know, have an alternative career path if possible. So um, that's when uh, this group was specialized in animation. But for my thesis, I thought, oh, it would be cool to, do, to merge game mechanics with architecture so you could navigate through spaces instead of, you know, having still images or, you know, pre-directed scenes. Uh, okay. Plans. So virtual design or virtual graphics hadn't really integrated with architecture at that stage? No, at that stage it was quite, uh, it was quite early on. So I had to find ways, um, <laughs> sort of amateur ways, but as long as it worked sort yeah. of thing, um, I was happy with it. But we had, um, so yeah, like things like game engines wasn't well known back then. So I had to find demos and then try to find hacky ways, you know, like putting things together to make it sort of work. So it started sort of thing, but then the, you needed lots of software and knowledge. So, for example, you, you needed to know graphic design and 3D modeling and animation, so, you know, like specific. So it was quite rare to kind of, but I was quite lucky to be part of that group. Yeah, and so you learn a lot together. during that phase. So. Yeah. yeah. And then Seth taught myself kind of, you know, a bit of programming. I still don't consider myself as a programmer. But um, kind of having the design mindset into programming sort of thing. Um, Just enough coding to get you by so that yeah, you could start realising exactly. your, your ideas. Yes. So you saw moving into animation or at least digital design as kind of a way of diversifying as you were advised to do yes. because of the GFC and, and where a, a future for architecture might go. Yes. So, so where did that lead you? Where did you go after London? Or oh, you stayed and worked there for a while? Uh, yes, I was there for um, seven years. So out of two, I was working in a practice called Brown Ring um, Architects. I was, I was doing my internship there. And then I went back home after uh, and worked in architecture for five years in Mauritius. And I was quite lucky to get a scholarship to come study in Australia. Uh, it's been a year and a bit. And uh, since then, I'm, I, was, I was trying to, I mean, since my time studying in London, I've been kind of upgrading my skills and doing more around um, interactive medium or, as I call them, cross-reality, uh, use of cross-reality technologies that merges the real and the virtual sort of thing. And uh, now that I'm bond, uh, we have the Transformer program, which is quite, um, not quite, but very amazing, actually, that gives students opportunities to kind of, you know, put the idea to fruition in, in reality. Yeah, that was a, the Transformer program. That was a real magnet for you to come to Bonn, wasn't it? Yeah, so that's the, that was one of the first things that grabbed my attention when applying to, um, to, to find a university in Australia, which I thought was quite, um, was quite cool uh, <laughs> to have. And, of course, you have the studies, but it would be quite good to have something to do on the side for, like, long term. Because studying is only, like, two years. Yes. Uh, for my Sustainable Environments and Planning and Project Management Master's degree. But then... Doing something for the long term, I think, is more viable uh, whilst you're acquiring skills at uni. So I thought, you know, I've done architecture, I've learned things, but there's something I would have done, well, not differently, but wouldn't added to my studies, which I'm hopefully, you know, doing now. Yeah, through diversification here. Yes. Now, I'll talk about what you're doing at Bond in a moment, but I'm curious to know because um, you've come from Mauritius, which is a tiny island, as you say, around the size of the ACT, the Australian Capital Territory. And you've come to this 
massive country in Australia. <laughs> yes. How much of a transition was it for you? Even though you'd lived in the UK, England, yes. of course, is still a very small country by Australian standards. So yeah. how did you adapt to that? What was the experience like for you arriving so, here? Firstly, I didn't realise how big Australia was. And being in Mauritius, we're more used to kind of, you know, European countries. And coming to Australia, firstly, the flight. Well, there's direct flight to Perth, but that's like once every week or something like this. But then we had to fly to Dubai, and then from Dubai to Sydney, Sydney to Gold Coast, I think. Yeah. So it was like... <laughs> it's a long way. It's a long time to sit yes. in an aircraft. Yes. But um, coming here, I was pleasantly surprised. Like the, the weather was sort of similar, although the sun is a bit stronger here. But the, the people are very welcoming. And uh, I think it's because I've studied abroad in the past, so I kind of knew my way around. I mean, adapting the skills I've learned previously. Yeah, so um, the the shopping centres, lots of shopping centres here compared to back home, which is more kind of uh, high streets, you know. Uh, yeah, the, very, the English way. Yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah. you have streets on both sides of the road, which can go. But I understand here it's very, it gets really hot, so you need kind of these con- uh, confined spaces to kind of um, do your groceries. Well, they're worlds under themselves, aren't they, the shopping centres here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So but you've come from an island which has got a, a multicultural history and culture, how did that compare with your experience of coming here? Mm-hmm. We have a very diverse international student community here. Did you feel very much at home here within that? Definitely. Well, at first, you, of course, you need to be um, adapting, but it's very diverse, but it's also different from what I've uh, experienced previously. Um, I'm from an island, but I didn't realise there's so many islands in the Pacific. And this is an island too, but it's a bloody yeah, yes, big one. Yes, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, but as I was saying previously, like the only a small bubble, right? Like from Mauritius, you would just know the islands in the Indian Ocean, for example. Yeah. But coming here, uh, I met, especially at Bonn Uni, you meet so many uh, people from all around, especially Southeast Asia, which is amazing, and they are fellow islanders is quite cool and the the things they do sometimes is very similar to what they do what we do at home it's like oh even the food sometimes like oh that's interesting yeah so i, I thought that was quite uh, quite good you're yeah. on the other side of the world and these are isolated communities yes. isolated countries and yes. yet the similarities are there yes simply because the environment so much yes. is a huge factor in the way we live similar. but also um because the colonies mm. um so for example you have fiji sugarcane right which is when you see pictures of fiji and Mauritius, you'll be like oh that's be the same place. Sort yeah. of thing. And the architecture also is the, is the same. And, the you know, uh, the food also, you know, seafood. So the, there's lots of similarities. And, I mean, the, the, that, that's partly what kind of inspired some of the work I'm doing at, at Bonn also, you know, the fellow uh, Pacific island countries. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about the work you're doing at Bond. You're studying sustainable environments and planning and project management. I can see the progression from architecture to this, but you're moving into a, a totally different space here. So what's your ultimate goal? Where are you heading with this? Yeah, so, so, so um, my passion is around uh, interactive technology, such as virtual reality and augmented reality. And trying to keep up can be a bit you know, tricky because it evolves every day. But it's one of the things I quite like doing. And having so many backgrounds, I thought it was kind of, uh, important to kind of merge them into one kind of in a way or another. So, for example, with sustainability, we've talked a lot about climate change, and then at Uni, you, you, you do like case studies uh, comparing it to Mauritius and Australia, which is quite cool to find the uh, differences and then, you know, contrasting them. 
I thought it would be quite good to um, sort of raise awareness to what we are doing, but also not forgetting my kind of background, which is architecture and also you know, now um, urban planning, how this needs to be adapted to the future you know, environmental changes. I can see as an architect when you're trying to future-proof designs that that would be a logical progression, but is there anything in particular that has driven your interest in the environment and climate change in particular, which yes. is um, fueling a project you're working on now? Yes, so um, that's exactly the point of the, the project with Transformer that we, we've have developed, which is Aftermath. And it stems from coming back to Mauritius after seven years. Um, and in the UK, yeah. Yes, from, yeah. The, from the UK. And seeing the shoreline kind of receding quite... It was quite noticeable because yeah, you'd been me, away for so long. Yeah. You could you could view it from an outsider's perspective. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So from like a God's view, you know, bird's eye view, sort of, you're like, oh. And you see like tree roots coming out. You're like, ah, oh, that's what erosion's about. And do the people of Mauritius see that? Or were you sort of coming back going, do you guys realise how much yeah, so, I this mean, has changed over the last few years? That's the thing. They, they're probably used to because the, 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 the problem with uh, especially, you know, um, sea level rise, it's many factors affecting it, our consumerism, our, you know, it, uh, climate, nature, etc. Mm. It's such a gradual process. It takes so long to see, like, a significant difference. So that was one of the premise of my uh, project, Aftermath, to mm. transport people in the future where all of this has happened. Yes. To kind of hopefully make people aware, like, you know, the things we're doing now will affect the future sort of thing. Yes. And uh, how, it's not, you know, to tell them change their habits. I mean, it's quite hard anyway for me to, to, to change my, you know, uh, the habit I've developed. But also kind of plant the seed to hopefully do something meaningful after. You've described Aftermath as this, which is a, a virtual platform, uh, a three-dimensional experience as a time machine. Can you explain how it works and what it actually does? Yeah, so uh, with various iterations, I'm still developing it. So the um, idea is to bring a person in a place in Mauritius. Of course, it's kind of, I would say, Photoshop. You know, I've added bits and pieces to it. But the core idea is the same. So, for example, there's a church in there, which is quite popular with tourists. It's called the Red, they call it the Red Church. And uh, the idea is to kind of have the person see a previous picture uh, or an experience of how it is currently and then transported or teleported or by the time machine, which is a VR headset, uh, into a future where it's been affected. So you see the stark difference and how the communities and the urban decay has happened on the environment to even you know, abandoning the, the space. So you, you, you navigate through and also interact with things like... Um, you pick up rubbish, for example. You put it in a bin. Rubbish that's been washed up because of uh, the rising sea levels? Or? Uh, yes, exactly. So, again, that's been inspired partly from conversations with fellow islanders from the Pacific. Um, how Something else you share in common, the, yeah. the pollution problem that washes up on their yes, shores. exactly. We, we, we don't have such big problems, but I know the Pacific Islands have quite a bit of issues with this. Yeah, plastic in particular. Philippines, yes, plastic washed up, washed up ashore because of ocean currents. Yes. And yeah, so, so um, and also friends having to leave, especially the Kiribati, uh, Kiribati uh, to Fiji because, you know, the, the island is uh, sinking. The premise is to kind of make people realise in, you know, 
relative short frame, uh, time frame to see what's happening to other places, not only in Mauritius, but to shorelines, to uh, and island nations. I can see, look, Mauritius would be such a, a great place to set your virtual experience because it's a small country, it's, a, it's an island, it's a defined entity so that you could create this, which is perfect for, for launching something like this. But I can also see the potential of not just Mauritians, but tourists, because obviously tourism is, is one of the big industries there now, trying this experience there and then actually seeing what the future might look like from the perspective of your country. Yes. So um, that's something uh, I'd definitely like to look uh, into, like how um, I could gamify experiences, that, because that's what I'm trying. Like um, I've been making games. I try to make a game every year to keep, to, you know, uh, to upskill, like <laughs> as I like saying, but also keep uh, in touch with the trends that's happening with the um, game development scene. But also how that could be more meaningful. So I've used it in architecture in the past, so you can see, you know, make the client see and walk through his or her house, interior uh, design, etc. But also climate change, um, because the the thing I realized with when, when doing uh, research is there's lots of research about climate change, but they're all like text-based or images, uh, 3D renders, which is like still 2D. And uh, there has been research that has shown that to create a more of an impact, you have to immerse the person in. And I think virtual reality is kind of um, at the point where, you know, we're still experimenting it, uh, with it, of course, but it has the potential of of bringing in awareness to something more meaningful than just, you know, playing games or nothing. Do you see that as perhaps being a, a really key part of wider acceptance of climate change and the impacts of climate change, where, whereas currently we, we hear the warnings we hear people talking about yeah. why well, we've got to get to zero emissions. Yeah. If we don't th do this by 2050, you yes. know, that's, it's all over, whatever it might be. But the problem is sometimes that you hear the message, but if you can't see exactly any kind of difference, and as you say, the change is gradual. Yes. So if you're actually living in that environment, you're not really noticing it. But in your case, you left that environment, came back and you noticed it. So you're hoping that by putting people in a visual representation of this, that they will actually see tangible differences. differences as a result of climate change. Definitely. Um, that's exactly what I'm trying to do um, with this. Um, some people may find it extreme, but the idea is to kind of drive home, and, you know, that's what's going to happen. If, yeah. If um, It's also, uh, I like the idea of trying the experience and coming up with lots of questions, like, oh, why is there so much rubbish? Like, why, why, why? And why are all these seawalls here? Yes, exactly. <laughs> like, no. And again, the seawalls, we don't have that, in Mauritius, but again, from Kiribati, the water, the water is rising so fast that the only method, you know, being a developing country, is to use concrete, and it's not very pleasing, just to keep the water from coming ashore, so that, uh, yeah. like, you know, to, to houses. Yeah, and that's not going to help the tourism industry if you've got to build big concrete exactly. walls so everywhere. Exactly, yeah. yeah, so that uh, poses another, you know, uh, discussion avenue, you know, what can be done. Amsterdam is doing like really cool things with their steel walls, you know, more aesthetic, more, you know, and yeah, or even floating platforms, I don't know. So it's interesting having just uh, before we sat down to have this chat, just having a, a quick look at Aftermath and uh, with the Oculus headset on and, and getting a visual representation of that. I've never been to Mauritius, but seeing the rubbish strewn everywhere is clearly not yeah. <laughs> an ideal environment for tourism. But I wonder how Mauritians might respond to this. You. You said that some people might see it as a bit extreme. Yeah. In your mind, 
do you think that you've got to produce a very convincing or compelling argument to convince people that we need to look at this, that we need to be very mindful about what the reality is likely to be? Yeah, definitely. Um, I was supposed to go home in April, but, you know, <laughs> flight restrictions. The idea was to um, also approach the UN, the UNDP, um, because they do uh, exhibitions. But again, most other things, they, they do so much work. But I think a, a quick way of doing it is, you know, by using um, 2D means and text, right? Um, but it only targets a specific group. So it could be academics or, you know, students. And with climate change, which is so much bigger, you need to target basically the maximum you can. Do you think the gamification idea will make it more accessible or more appealing to people to want to experience it? Because, like, you know... Yeah, so uh, yeah. hopefully, hopefully. Um, I'm doing a study on this also at uni. I'm using this as part of an experiment and see whether it actually works. Because, you know, I've been doing this for quite a while. For me, it works. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Uh, but but yeah. of course, it's my baby. So yeah. <laughs> I would, I would, well, I've got to say, it's impressive, like, looking at, for someone who's not formally trained in coding and digital design, in graphic design, it looks amazing, like, you know. You. Yeah, so do you need other developers to come on board to help you advance the idea? Or what, what's your thinking around Yeah, that? so uh, we've had a few uh, students coming and help with the, the programming and some of the 3D. But um, ultimately, I'm from Mauritius, so I know what elements... Are there something? The idea is to kind of partner with other, you know, students who have ideas, other entities, institutions, and also public museums. Why not do an exhibition, start conversations about it? And that's what I, yeah, I think would be quite cool to kind of develop partnerships. Uh, yeah, I can see why you don't want to lose control of this is your baby, this is your idea, but I'm sure that bringing other designers or digital experts on board might help you refine the yeah. idea. Only last week, I was. You know, it was my secret. No one else has seen the 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 VR. Oh, really? Am I yeah. one of the first to yeah, see it? Wow, that's okay. Ones. I'm impressed. So um, I feel very privileged. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, my, my yeah. pleasure. But I, I thought it was time to kind of let the you know the let it fly, out into the yeah, world exactly <laughs> to see to get feedback yes. from people because I've been doing this for quite some time, and I think feedback is crucial when you're doing something. Uh, like this um, I don't know where it will take me but it's one of my passions so I would just keep on working and um, hopefully uh, one of the things I'm going to do in the future once I'm done with this is one for Gold Coast to see how climate change may impact something more local well that would be very interesting yeah I think particularly to anyone living along the beachfront and there's a lot of people living along the beachfront yes. here yeah do you think that we're a little bit too blasé about climate change, that in the main that life goes on as normal day in, day out, and that we just aren't really aware of it? Yeah, but, 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 but there's also, like, life has to go on, right? Like, mm. you can't just... Uh, so I understand that. It's just... Um, it's quite hard one to, to, to think about, really, because myself, I know, you know, if we keep going the way we're going... It might be a disaster, or it might be just fine. You never know. But um, I've started doing changes to my to my to my lifestyle. You know, where I can stop using plastic completely, just using you know the recyclable bags. All these all the shopping centers here. The um, yeah, plastic is banned in Queensland, exactly. so there's no plastic bags. Yeah. So the, you use the recycle uh, recyclable bags, or you know the cutleries, the plastic ones. Yeah, use like, bamboo cutlery yeah, instead. Yeah, exactly. And and I think Queensland, especially Bond, also is really good with this. 
everything is recyclable or compostable, which is quite uh, quite cool. But uh, I totally understand that life has to go on. But if we could, you know, think what would happen to future generations would be quite uh, good because you know we are, we all live the moment. But having just stop a moment just to see what's going to potentially happen in the future might you know affect you know raise awareness, which is the whole point of yes. aftermath. You recently received uh, some financial assistance from Bond's Transformer program, which you talked about, which was one of the appeals of coming here. Yeah. How is that money going to help you develop Aftermath? Yeah, so um, all the money actually <laughs> went into uh, acquiring technology, like the, uh, the VR headsets. Right. And um, because of the you know, current pandemic times, those heads are quite rare because of shipping from America, you know, for, from China, it's really, really hard to get. So whenever I can, um, I started with one. Now I have two headsets, so one to develop and one to showcase right. uh, to people. But also um, assets, virtual assets to help development of Aftermath. Because as they say, you don't want to reinvent the wheel every time. So sometimes if it saves me from modeling for like, you know, two weeks or something, you just buy an asset and then um, it is also um, visual language coding, which is it, which is like coding, but yeah. for designers. Yeah. So it's more visual boxes. So so you know purchasing software to streamline my workflow. Um, so most of it is going towards there. But also hopefully in the future, if we can go back to some level of normal normality, um, organizing exhibitions for aftermath to see you know to get feedback from the project. That's right, and also to build awareness, of course, yes. around the project itself and, of course, the, the issues. Yes. But Bond's Transformer program isn't just about funding. It's about working with entrepreneurs, working with people who uh, are in the field of where you're now dabbling. Yes. So what kind of other assistance have you had from working within that program? To um, with the Transformer, it's not only people who have a full-on like, idea, but also like a, if you... I mean, concept or like an initial idea starting point. You can also, you know, go there and then they have mentors uh, that would help you put it to fruition. But um, you have amazing staff that would be willing to help you also. They do um, lectures, which I'm going now after this, <laughs> um, from um, lecturers or guests who kind of give you an insight of how business works or their startups so they give you support um, on this but also they, uh, they have spaces that you can uh, book for testing which i will be very soon doing and um, they have competitions which i've i took part in two now so hopefully more in the future so pitch competitions where you kind of pitch your idea and then you get the seed funding to kind of help develop your project it. yes, yes yeah. do you see yourself as an entrepreneur Ooh. <laughs> uh, I don't know. <laughs> because I'm not making any money out of it yet. I like the idea of tinkering with things and... Uh, I get that. You love design yeah. and you're, you're very interested in that. But I think you'll find the definition of an entrepreneur is somebody who is a problem solver, effectively. Someone who uh, sees a problem yeah. and then comes up with an idea or a solution to help solve that. And... Effectively, that's what you're doing. Oh, <laughs> thanks. But uh, yeah, that, that, I mean, um, I'd like to, to do that. Um, but I realize one, one of the kind of my weak points is like the business side of things. And that's where Transformer comes in also. 
They give you advice on, you know, legal things. And also uh, your fellow business students helping you. So it's kind of this community on you because you can't be good at everything, right? <laughs> so if, I, if a fellow student asks me for help, you know, with anything related to design, I'll be glad to be, be willing to help. Um, so, so you find it a very collaborative culture at Bond? Yeah, yeah. I think it's because of the size. It's like a village sort of thing. So every time you, you will buy, you have to say hi because you know the person. Yeah. There. Which was quite uh, nice. Uh, Not impersonal, like those big universities. Yes, so, yeah. the of the village I came from. So you know, when you're walking down the street, you know everyone. <laughs> yeah. So Bonn is so small, and even the tutors, uh, they'll be walking down going to the coffee shop that you you know you go to the library you you, you may study at. So I think it's yeah, I think it's the size. Everyone knows each other, I'd say. And uh, the good thing is not from the same faculty. It's from like various faculties that kind of work together. Let's take a step into the future as Aftermath does. Let's step into the Aftermath time machine in terms of the development of your VR concept. And you mentioned the UN here. So is a likely path an educational tool where it would be used in schools and universities or, or is that just too limiting in its scope? Does it need to have a much bigger audience than that if, it's, if we're truly going to create change and fast? Yeah, so I've had a... I've been thinking about this while developing. Um, it could be an educational tool. Uh, I'm not too sure. The, the thing with uh, VR is it's an amazing experience as a personal, you know, uh, one-to-one uh, experience. But for the masses, it can be a bit limiting. So I was thinking maybe other institutions like museums would be quite cool to have uh, on board to display such an experience. Um, uh, or galleries, art galleries would be quite nice. But schools definitely, but also doing like workshops, using this as a platform to do more and raise awareness in institutions. And look at also. look at solutions to the problems that we've got to avoid. Yeah, yes, exactly. Because it's based on current behaviours. If we keep doing as we're doing now with maybe just some incremental changes, yeah, sure, we can go and move from... Plastic yes. cutlery to yes. bamboo yes. or, you know, from plastic bags to recyclable bags, whatever it might be. But all the science is telling us that that's not enough. The, yep. the, the, the rate of change is far too great now. We're on this exponential curve where we're going to see radical differences very soon. So it's really not only about creating awareness but also hopefully inspiring others to yeah. find solutions to the problem. But, but, exactly. So that, that's one of the, um, the goals of Aftermath is like creating conversations with uh, people but also I mean to reverse the the trend we require drastic measures right but also start discussions about adaptation I think how our urban scape can adapt to climate change how you know our houses can um, so we did um, a, a um, competition in the past where we're looking at the future houses on coastal areas, and one of the things we found is you can't stop nature, right? Like rising, you can't, you can put barriers, but then it will, it will eventually uh, take over. Nature always does. How about adapting the houses? You know, floating it could be underwater. You know, it might change. You know, it's not overnight, but something that we might need to start thinking. Adaptation, I think, but also. In the meantime, mitigation. So those are kind of thoughts I want to kind of bring to people. Given your environmental concerns, which you've spelt out, and the rate of change that we're experiencing, 
Do you find it hard to stay optimistic about the future? Uh, sometimes it does, but then I'm an optimistic person by nature. <laughs> so I think we will find uh, solutions, and there are, there are companies that are already doing it. I think it's called the deep uh, ocean cleanup. Uh, so they're literally kind of raking all the plastics from the ocean, right? which is, I think is just mind-blowing. So I think there will be creative people, engineers, visionaries who will find ways... And staying optimistic, I think, is, is one of the outlooks that you, you, can, you need to have in order to, to create solutions and uh, never give up about, you know. Uh, I think human beings have this amazing uh, ability to kind of get back up when it's down sort of thing. I know it sometimes can be quite bad, uh, but mo- most of the time, I mean, for my, I don't have much experience, but for my experience, we've done quite well. Uh, so hopefully... We'll be okay. <laughs> Hopefully we have the capacity to find the solutions, otherwise yeah. we'll go the way of the dodo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the irony of his country's now extinct national symbol isn't lost on Vipin Danu. I can't wait to see his vision of a world that ignores the warnings come to fruition. Let's hope, though, that it's only the virtual version that we ever have to contend with. If you'd like to meet some of the other remarkable students featured in this series, you'll find their stories at www.studygoldcoast.org.au slash podcast. My name is Trevor Jackson, and I'll catch you next time, for tomorrow is mine.